Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Um, we had some pretty good news of the weekend. That's definitely made me feel very, very happy this week. Uh, but wherever you are, I hope that the week has been not too hard on you. Uh, thank you so much for your amazing comments on Adam Buxton's episode uh, last week. I know a lot of you said it was a really weird feeling to see his name come up because it was like, oh yay, like... I love Adam Buxton. Oh no, he's on the Griefcast, which I completely relate to. It's that strange, bittersweet feeling of someone returning. But thank you for your lovely comments. And I pass them on to Adam as well, because I know he is not on social media, but I did let him know how lovely you've all been about his episode. Uh, if you did enjoy the episode and you've been enjoying the show, please do, as ever, rate and review and subscribe. It helps other people find the show. This week, I was talking to someone else who basically needs no introduction. It is the incredible and amazing and wonderful... Writer, broadcaster and gardener, Monty Dom. Monty came on to talk to me about his dog, who recently passed away, but we also talked about all the griefs that Monty had experienced along the way. The thing I miss most on a social level, funnily enough, are not my, my sort of tiny handful of friends, because... Mm. I live out in the sticks and, and one of the, the sort of prices of living in the countryside as opposed to town is that everybody you know lives as far away as it's possible to be. Mm. So just geography means you see people very seldom. And, you know, I have close friends in Scotland and close friends in Kent and close friends there who we, I might, I might not see for two years. Mm. Um, but I do get to see the crew every week and some of them I've worked with for 20 years. Wow. So I, I, we are friends and we, we share yeah. experiences, even though it's always work-based. And if you travel with people, as I do a lot, 
you share every meal together. You share all your work yes, together. Yeah, you, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's a completely intense experience. God, yeah, it is. It's fascinating talking to you about anything, but obviously we are here to talk about something right. slightly more sad. So, who are we remembering today? Well, in the middle of lockdown, uh, my dog Nigel died, and he died very suddenly. It was a beautiful May day, and I had just finished the book My Garden World, which came out a, a few weeks ago, literally that day. Um, wow. And I've been working on it very intensively. I mean, really all day, every day for months. And he'd been with me all the time, as he had been for the last 12 years. And it was a lovely day, and he'd been outside, and at 7 o'clock in the evening we went for a walk, he was fine, uh, and I put him to bed at 10 o'clock. And then at one in the morning, my son, because my son and daughter-in-law had been in lockdown with us, woke me and said, Nigel is having fits. You, oh. need, you, need, you, know, you need to do it. And so I stayed with him for the rest of the night and he fitted all night. And that's a really, um, I don't know if you've ever been with a person when they've had a seizure. Um, no, not a seizure, no. No, well, I, I have. And it's really shocking. It's mm. really dramatic. It's such a violent thing, you know, and, and you feel as, a, as a, somebody who's trying to help, I mean, you, I sort of know what to do, but, but, but it, it feels inadequate because mm. they are, it's so violent and people can break bones. And anyway, you had a large dog doing just that all night, oh, again God. and again and, and again. And he'd never had seizures before? Never before. And oh, so by morning, I was thinking, please just die just die mm. because this is this is not good you know this is uh, and because of lockdown and, and at that point it was still absolute i mean there didn't seem to be mm. you know there were, there were ho- people with coronavirus were being told not to go to hospital let alone yeah, dogs yeah. anyway i rang the vet at six in the morning who was brilliant and said well bring him in and you said you do realize obviously you're going to have to be in the car park and and mm. you're not there's going to be no contact so we we did all that uh, took him in he was fitting in the car. He was fitting in the car park. And then I had to film that day. So I oh filmed God. Gardner's World um, with this going on. And uh, we did it. And all day, you know, there'd be phone calls coming in saying, we tried this drug, it's not working. We tried this drug, it's not working. And finally, uh, the drug they used was the drug that they used to put dogs down mm. within a small dose. And they said, to be honest, we should just up the dose to stop the dose and that will end it. And he'd had a brain tumour and it had just, obviously at that moment, wow. just that critical moment, the tumour had grown yeah. and I, was, I only knew this with hindsight. Anyway, that was that. And so that was shocking. I mean, that's the right mm. word. It was just, just a very visceral, shocking experience. What breed was Nigel? And he's a golden to... retriever. Oh. And the, the extraordinary thing about Nigel was he was our family. I mean, he was one of... We have five dogs, and he was one of them, and he was one of the family. And mm. anybody who owns a pet of any kind, where it's one of the family that's been with you for 12 and a half years, it's a loved member of the family. And that's, mm. a, that's a private grief. And it's as great... I mean, I've had lots of dogs, and I've had to put them down. I've had dogs... I had a dog that came down in the morning. It was dead on the floor. I've had mm. dogs that had traffic accidents. So, I mean, I... I've had to deal with this. And, mm. and one of the things that I think that as a responsible pet owner, you have to take on board is when you get a pet, one of you is going to die first. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be you. 
<laughs> hopefully, hopefully. So, so the point thing is, one, you are going to have to deal with this. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have to face that death, yeah. and I think it's so important that uh, you, you that you are honor, honor that because, yeah. like you said, they are yeah. a member of the family, and we've had people come on to talk about um, a dog and a, and a cat mm. before, and I think it can be it can be hard i think if you haven't experienced pets in your life and you haven't you know had them even for a year like just like you said to understand that they are absolutely a part of the family also i think with dogs i don't know if you feel about this like some dogs are different was nigel one of those who's just nigel was different i mean the extraordinary thing about nigel was that he was and i'm really not exaggerating he was world famous (laughs) <laughs> he was uh, at Christmas. He used to get more Christmas cards than we did. We oh every week, every week, we always got about half a dozen letters addressed to Nigel Longmeadow, Herefordshire. Now Longmeadow <laughs> is a made-up name. It's not the name of my house. It's a you yeah. know, standard BBC play. So it's just Nigel. Who? Just Nigel. <laughs> made-up name County. And they. Wow. And what I never knew was were there every week five hundred letters that didn't get delivered to us because people said what. <laughs> I don't know. Who's this? Nigel. Nigel in Hertfordshire. Exactly. Like, why am I getting these cards? It's exactly. so weird. Or is it just the genius of the post office, you know, that, yeah. that delivers the mail? Um, he was genuinely loved. And on his birthday, there would be just piles of presents would come through wow. for him. Whenever I gave <laughs> talks, I used to do a lot of um, sort of one-man shows. And I... I knew people just wanted, wanted Nigel. Really, if they oh. came on with Nigel, they would have all cheered. <laughs> so I used to show a picture and say, OK, I'll go now. I'll just leave that up. You, you know, yeah. bathe in it, bask in it. And then when you've had enough, I'll come back. I remember crossing the street in Tokyo. Someone running saying, where's Nigel? Why haven't you got Nigel with you? Or getting onto a plane. <laughs> I got onto a plane in a small town. We were filming this garden in this little small town in Kansas. And I really genuinely can't remember the name of it. And the guy said, hi, guy, you know, where's your dog? Where's your dog? I went to, I had to go to Buckingham Palace uh, for something and, and the policeman with his gun said, what? No, Nigel. You know, it was, <laughs> it became a refrain. Always you get yeah, on a plane. Yeah. So that I, he wasn't, he was co-owned. He mm, was ours, yeah. he was private and he was very public. So what I did was I didn't tell anyone for a week. Mm. So we could grieve and, ha- and own that grief. Yeah, and we buried yeah. him. And then we had this curious thing whereby I was filming for two days. So on the evening of the, the first day, that we you know, had the conversation with Bert. And I said, really? OK, fine. Just, just. And he said, do you want to come and see him? And I said, actually, I don't. Because, mm. you know, I've, I've held in my arms all night. I, I don't want to see him on a slab in your surgery yeah. through a window. But I said, I can't bury him t- t- tonight or tomorrow because I'm mm. filming. So they put him in the freezer. The whole thing was both incredibly gut-wrenchingly sad, but at the same time hysterically funny. Yes, and so we were, and so, and I said, please make him look nice, you know, just (laughs) so. And and then he said, well, we're going to have to fit him in, so I had to go to fit him in the feet. Because Dino James is quite big, and Nigel was quite, a, like you said, a big dog. He was a big dog. He was a great Why big dog. Why didn't they have a chest freezer yeah. ready for this sort of so, situation? Anyway, we buried him two days later. And, of course, he was frozen solid. So we... <laughs> so, <laughs> we, <laughs> we so we dug oh this God. big hole in the garden. I mean, I, we have a... A pet cemetery. He's the fifth dog we've buried in this area in the garden. And we dug a big hole 
and we lined it with flowers that I picked from the garden and we put 50 tennis balls because he was mad about tennis balls <laughs> and we got a bowl and we put his favourite food and we put lots of biscuits Sweet. and then we put frozen Nigel in there who was, <laughs> as my son said, like a hairy lolly. He was, <laughs> and in fact, he looked really peaceful. He was this yeah. great big bear asleep and because he'd been frozen, it was, he was frozen in the moment of, of a calm death. Oh. So actually, he looked just, he really did look, and his, his fur was still flowing and fur, but, but yeah. you then touched the body and it was a block. It was just a stone wow. block. So that was both freaky and genuinely funny. I mean, in other words, we yes. were hysterical. We were, we were laughing and crying and, and, you know, all that. That seems so fitting for a dog's funeral. <laughs> like, because dogs are so brilliant and also the silliest things you've ever seen. Yeah. Like, and yeah. if you have had dogs, you can have a clever dog who will do something that you you cannot believe it's that stupid like it's just they do sometimes just you know they don't have that the way that cats often you're like i don't have to worry about you often with a dog you're like oh, what what are you doing and so i think that's quite fitting that he had this sort of slightly comedy funeral he had a comedy <laughs> with funeral. all his tennis balls yeah. and, and we, his biscuits and we buried it and then we we got a huge block of stone in fact we we had to go and get the huge block of stone i wow. knew where it was so we then we took took a but that was, I think that was the first time I'd left the garden since his wow. lockdown. So we went with my son's pickup truck and we got this block of stone and we managed to get it on him. And it's buried. And anyway, we, we had that. And that was... And then you process it. And, and the thing is, on one level, he was 12. He had a good life. Mm. He had a... Other than the sort of eight hours or whatever it was at that night, it was a good death mm. because it was... The last day was lovely and happy and... Once he was at the vets, there was no pain. There was, no, and, and in fact, mm. the vet said he wouldn't have had any. When you have seizures, you're not in pain. You don't know what's mm. going on. You have no idea. So there was that. That was the good thing. And then I released it. I mean, it, again, it was, you know, you release a death. What does that mean? You know, you. I, a I press did, statement. Well, yeah, I, I did. Do, yeah. I put out a press yeah. statement to, through Reuters, in a very old-fashioned way, mm. and I and I put it onto social media. And it was the front page news on the Times. It was in all the... <laughs> I, 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 some, my son had to take the car in to be fixed. And the guy said, oh, sorry to hear about your dog. And Tom said, how, how did you hear that? He said, oh, on the telly, you know. And I had someone ring me up from Tonga. saying, I've oh, just heard the God. news. You know, well, it's, it's awful. And then, of course, it was a... But because it all happened a week earlier, we mm. was, we'd gone quite a long way to process it. Yeah, now. yeah. So we weren't... You know, we've, we've been through the various stages of grief, and we, which is shock, sadness, sort of the, the slight disbelief, this thing of, mm. of seeing the person, you know, all these things that one knows about and, and I've experienced with people. Um, but also, actually, by then we were saying, we, we got to the stage, just as the rest of the world was shocked, mm. of thinking, weren't we lucky? Wasn't yeah. it good? You know, isn't it great that we had those 12 years and that he was yeah, such an yeah. extraordinary character and he was so well known. It'll never happen again. I mean, we knew that there was a one-off, mm. you know, it was. So I suppose the whole point of this story is it was such an unusual experience of grief. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was such a sort of, you could imagine if it was a famous person, that's what it must be like for the family when a very famous comedian or actor, say, dies, mm. who, who the yeah. world loves but doesn't really know. 
Yeah, and we've talked, we, I interviewed at Rosa Hoskins, whose right. dad was Bob Hoskins, yeah. and other people with famous parents who said this, that it, this disconnect of what you're feeling yeah. and then hearing them, you know, from in films from the 70s, suddenly on your television or you're just trying to make a cup of tea and their voice yeah. comes on the radio and yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, it's very, like you said, disconnected from where your, where your grief is. And I think that's really, it's really interesting that you chose to wait because I think it's so helpful to give yourself time and space to process how you felt about it as a family. And as you said, to reach that that nice point with a pair of like, well, they were really brilliant. We were really yeah. lucky. Like yeah. that's really yeah. nice. And that doesn't mean the sadness doesn't disappear. You know, you still will look and think, oh, they were so great. But to then have everybody else's emotion and you be like, oh no, we, we've done the burial. <laughs> we've, you yeah. know, we're in a different yeah. place. So yeah. I think it's very sensible and and. Uh, you know caring for your own grief to put that distance towards it it was i mean what was interesting was it was absolutely a family decision that we we all felt mm. that we I th and the expression we used and and you know we're quite a unsentimental family you know we're quite we're, we're farmers we we animals die on us all the time we keep sheep yeah yeah and sheep die I mean, they always say that, you know, sheep get born and then look at interesting, find interesting ways to die. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so that we're, we're not overtly sentimental about mm. it, which is not the same as saying we don't love our pets. We do. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But we all felt that it belonged to us and we mm. didn't want to share it until we were ready. And that was exactly how we all felt as a family. Yeah. It was it was when we were ready we would share it. Because we knew that yeah. once we shared it, it would be taken from us to a certain extent. Mm. You can't you can't possess every aspect of it and let other people have it. Mm. Sharing means letting go to to some degree. And it did work out like that. I mean I'm still getting letters now. I got one last week, at the end of September commiserating with my grief and hoping that I was getting over it. And I was trying to think, what grief? What's happened? You know, <laughs> I, I mean, in other words, it's, I've really moved on from that now. Mm. Uh, and, and yet, obviously, someone else, it, it's not what they were saying was they hadn't moved on. They no. wanted to share what they felt. And that's fine. You, that's absolutely fine. Do you think it's where I wonder, like, the timing... Because I think, obviously, people would have been sad because he, what he yeah. you know, I remember watching him. He was a lovely, yeah. lovely dog. But also because we're in this strange place of, you know, confusion and uncertainty. So I know that there has been this, you know, this huge, like I've watched Gardener's World all my life, right? And I have had friends who have had no interest in mm. anything like that text me and be like, oh, I'm watching Gardener's World. And I've been like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. And they've said, oh, no, it's just so nice, you know, because mm. of what's happening, I've decided mm. to look at my garden. Mm. I've decided mm. to have these thoughts. And I wonder if like something like Nigel who was like a, um, like a sort of continuing presence of yours, that for him to go in these uncertain times, it allows people to release that sadness of like, oh, God, oh, where are we? What's happening? I think that's exactly right. And I think also for, for Nigel, because we often, as a family, would say we love Nigel, but he's really thick. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. What Some dogs are yeah. just wonderful but stupid. Yeah. yeah, And that what you see is absolutely what you get. You know, yeah. <laughs> Nigel's hidden depths make a very yeah. thin veneer. And <laughs> so, which was part of his charm, of course. Yeah, yeah. But, but, not, you know, a stupid dog is very charming. Yeah. But, but, but what's interesting is if ever I suggested that in public, people didn't like it. It wasn't, oh, a, well, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, because 
it was too much information. They, they had built yeah. an idea of Nigel. And that didn't fit it. They could take that he was goofy or he yeah. was slightly, but, but actually to say he was thick was the wrong word, even though it was absolutely the <laughs> not right my word. Nigel. Yeah, no, not yeah, my yeah. Nigel. Exactly, no. exactly. He that. wouldn't be. So people had constructed Nigel. Yeah, yeah. Um, he became to represent constancy, mm. loyalty, simplicity, honesty. Decency, mm. all these words these, these, that, that actually seem to be so lacking from mm. public life, at least. Yeah, yeah. And so challenged, you know, at every core, every turn, you, you just think, oh, how could that happen? Yeah. And yeah. I think also the, the, the thing about the pandemic is that there is no one alive who's had to live through it. Mm. Um, I mean, mm. my parents lived through the war, which is probably the... the the best analogy, although I think actually this is very, very small fry compared to mm. that, but uh, and I think it's sort of an unhelpful analogy. But it's the closest I, we've got, really. Yeah, isn't it, it is, yeah. and I think that which is why I think the very few surviving people from the war are so important and become so mm. fated, because mm. they're the people who got through it, and the survivors. Mm. Uh, and I think that take away one of those underpinning, visible icons of decency. Mm. And it's one fewer left. You know this phrase that when people, when somebody you, who is really special dies, there seems to me there are two things you feel. One is a kind of existential loneliness. You feel someone you needed to be there yeah. is no longer there. I remember when my father died, I remember thinking, I've now got to be a man mm. because there's no one else to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't even know what I mean by saying that, yeah. but I know I've got to. And I think that, or if, if one of, someone really good, you know is good, dies, you just feel some goodness has gone and it's not replaced. Yeah, there's it's a very, it's a very pure sadness, isn't it? Of like, like you said, I guess as you are a farmer, you know things die, you know, we, we do know that in our brains, people die, that's what happens. But when something good goes, there is this real, yeah, a pure sadness of, oh, the world will be a bit... A bit and also, now. as you said, you know, with with the virus, people were real people, real, you know, were dying. And I mean, one of the things that I feel very strongly, again, as a pet lover and a farmer, is actually people are more important than animals. Mm, yes, is that yeah, the, yeah. that you know, it it matters more mm. when a human you love dies than when an animal you love does and I think you have to be clear about that it's it's of course doesn't mean so you don't love animals as much mm. and they aren't desperately important to some people their only companion mm. and I do know that some people really genuinely genuinely are bereft when mm, a yeah, cat or, or dog dies and it's a real proper grief mm. and, and should be taken seriously but when a spouse or a parent or a child dies that's something else it really is. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. We talk a lot on the show about the hierarchy of grief and how it, it doesn't exist, you know, because we try to level out like grief is grief and yeah it's not always helpful to be like, oh, well, your grief is this or your grief is that. And I think, I agree with you, I think sort of um, philosophically people matter more and you need, you know, in terms of how you run a society or how you're thinking about things. But I think for some people, what I've learned from doing this show is they perhaps don't have those people. And so yeah. that pet becomes uh, th- as important or yeah. the other people have not fulfilled what they need in a family situation. And so that pet becomes absolutely family i agree and and that and, and i would stress that i'm not in any way disagreeing with that or decrying mm-hmm. that but what i'm saying is that the grief might be as deep and as real mm. that there is a real genuine bereavement to be had from losing a, a much-loved companion which mm. whether that companion is you know it could, it could be a cat it could be a dog it could be a horse it could be it could be a, i mean god's sake any animal any any yeah, yeah. animal and and Particularly if you're alone, or particularly if you're lonely, mm. you may not be alone, but you might be lonely. You know? yeah, um, yeah. But I think that we live in a world that is more and more divorced from from death of all kinds, mm-hmm. and certainly death of animals. We don't, mm. you know, people who will eat meat as long as it doesn't look like meat. Uh, yeah, that's but, interesting. I see what you mean that we we forget that that it happens. Yeah, and that that's and I I mean I I would also argue we do that to humans because we you know the whole process of death is hospitalization yeah. and often we don't see the body and things are very neat and medicalized and I think this like you're, what you're saying is 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 the same with animals that we get into like we don't want the other side of it. 
we yeah. want to have this nice bit without the yeah pets will die and when you buy yeah. one or when you get one it is your responsibility to give them a good death as much as it is you know for people you love yeah. and we talk about that so much on the show of how to have a good death like you talk about it beforehand tell people what you want for your funeral plans tell yeah. people what your passwords are so that when they they when you are in this in cape in yeah. a situation where you need to be held people can honor you in that way they can make the decisions for you but it's you know i find i think we find all of these decisions animals or human really difficult to have yes and the, and the less we have to do it the harder it mm. is i mean yeah. one of one of the things about farming particularly sheep and and we have far fewer sheep now but at one point we had nearly 3000 sheep Wow. So that at that stage, at any one time, almost every day of the year, there is one that either has died on you or you have to kill. Oh, my God. Uh, so, so, I'm not from know. a farming background. Yeah, so, so the point <laughs> thing is, is death is, is, in a curious way, absolutely ever-present. Mm. And, you know, uh, when you are lambing, there are always, you come across lambs with their eyes pecked out and that sort of thing, which is... The most brutal sort of, mm. uh, and that's, yet it's completely natural. It's completely, yeah. completely natural. So on one level you get hardened to it. On one level that you, you accept the physical side. You know what mm. goes on. You know you know what you have to do, and that that's why I think it's easier for someone like me to differentiate between animal death and human death because obviously mm. I you know I do not want to kill a person, <laughs> but if I saw an animal suffering, I yeah. wouldn't hesitate to kill it. Yeah. I wouldn't like it. I don't want to do it, but yeah, I would yeah. do it because it would be the right thing to do. Whereas if it was a person, I, mean, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Relief to hear, Monty, yeah. you're not going to go out and kill people. But, but, don't but, walk past him if you've got a cold. Monty's ready with a hammer. But, 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 so the point is, is there, there is that real difference. Whereas I think actually in modern life, a lot of people would, would find that at best difficult and at worst, mm. wow, you know, what are you saying? That is too much. That's a step too far. Yeah, and do you think, I mean, I suppose it's obvious a question in a way, but it, do you think it is because we are so divorced from where our food comes from and yeah, how, what absolutely. farming is? Yeah. And, you know, I'm yeah. someone who grew up in the city, is from the city. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I married a country person right. and certain things have really shocked me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to what? <laughs> like that, and it's like, yeah, that, you know, and I think if you haven't grown up around it, it, it can be really shocking. And it, it's sad in a way because you're, like you said, it's like you want, it's like we want nature, but without any of the yeah. the truth, yeah. which I think is also how I feel about humans and death. Like we want humans, we want connection, we want intimacy, but we don't want to deal with this like bit at the end where they well, die, even though that's guaranteed to happen. I, when I was 16, uh, I was brought up in my grandmother's house. Uh, my mother was an only child and uh, my father being in the army was all over the world. I was born abroad in, in an army base. And then we, when I was one, we came back to England and my grandfather had died. And my grandmother wasn't very well, so she lived in a big house. So there were five children by now. So we all went and lived with her mm. in her house, which my mother was sort of passed on to my mother. So I grew up with Granny. And she died when I was 16. Mm. And she died at two in the morning. And I remember my mother coming to wake me up and saying, Granny's died. Do you want to come and see her? And I said, no. She said, well, I really think you ought to. Mm. So I went in and saw Granny, dreading, I mean, really scared. Of course, Properly of course. scared at 16. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, obviously, I'd never seen a dead body. Mm. Um, I was frightened of what I might see. And in fact, I'm so glad I did. Because A, it wasn't frightening. Mm. And B, Granny wasn't there. Yeah. 
She yeah. really wasn't. Her body was, but she mm. wasn't. That, that was, I mean, there was, there was nothing more elaborate. That, that was just really apparent. Mm. So that her death then became something I understood. It wasn't an, you know, it was, she had gone. Mm. I know it's amazing because everything I've read on yeah. death and grief is see the body see yeah. the body yeah. because something in a human's brain needs to see a dead body for somewhere yeah. in you to go it's dead even yeah. if someone tells you that you know that's why yeah. we have this obsession of putting the body to rest getting our bodies back it, mm. it matters to us even though you said they're not there and I I think if you have someone in your life like your mum did mm. who can guide you through that process you're mm. so lucky yeah. and when my dad died we were with him and it's only because my mum was like of course we're staying with him we're going to watch yeah. this happen yeah. And I had exactly the same experience of seeing someone and being like, oh, he's yeah. not there. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, yeah. I see, I see we inhabit this body, but it, it, once you're gone, you're just not in that place yeah. anymore. And I think you really need an older generation or somebody to be like, don't be afraid, this is important. Is it, otherwise you can miss out. I remember when I was a child, my father, for some reason we were talking about death. And I said to my father, do you want to be cremated or buried? He said, I don't care. I won't leave my body anymore. Mm. You do what you like with it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the, both being shocked by the sort of flippancy of the remark, mm. but also profoundly sort of aware that, yeah, you won't need your body anymore. Mm. It's simply not, you're not there anymore. It's, you're really not. Yeah. Did you see his body after he No, I him? didn't see my father's body. In fact, I had a very weird experience with my father. My father had leukaemia mm. and he died... Um, uh, 37 years ago, so a long time ago. I was 26, 27. Oh, still young. Yeah, and um, he was dying. I knew he was dying. Mm. And I went and saw him. I was working in London, and, and Sarah and I had this business. We were working like mad. And I went to see him, sort of knowing it was the last time I was going to see him. But, mm. but he had been very ill for months. And he was in bed, and I talked to him. But I didn't really say goodbye to him at all. Mm. I mean, we... we we, we, he was very old school. I'm 65. I was, you know, he, he was 40 when I was born. He right. was born in 1915. His right. parents were incredibly old school. Okay. So his father was born in 1870. So that uh, wow. it was, we had a very formal relationship. Mm. And so I sort of said goodbye. But, but, but only in a way, well, bye, cheerio. And that was it. Mm. So, but at the same time, knowing I was probably never going to see him again. Anyway, uh, a week later, I got, came home, got a phone call from my brother-in-law saying, your father's just died. Mm. And he said, just, um, there's nothing much more I can say, but, you know, talk. Uh, and he was, my brother-in-law, who was actually a priest, so often had to deal with people who had died. Yeah, yeah. I talked to him about it later. He said, sometimes you just have to tell people things and just let them process it. You know, mm. we'll talk about this later, sort of thing. Yeah. So I put the phone down. Five minutes later, I was on my own in the house, and I was upset, but, but, but thinking... It, I was slowly getting used to the idea, really. Mm. It wasn't a terrible shock. It was... Yeah. It were, but, it, but it was a, a big thing, a big, mm. big thing. And then the phone went, and it was my mother. And I said, hello. Not, you know, sort of wondering what, what she was going to say. I said, hello, and there was sort of this kind of voice, quite chirpy. I said, are you all right? He said, yes, I've just come back from seeing Daddy, and he's fine. And immediately I thought, there's something very odd going on here. Anyway, what had happened was she'd been to hospital, which was 40 minutes away from home, oh. seen him, 
And she said he talked to him and he said he was feeling a bit cold, but I covered him over. And um, anyway, she described how she talked to him and that she'd pulled the blanket up around him. And he was clearly going downhill, but he seemed to be okay. And they made plans for what they would do tomorrow. Oh. And I was listening at the other end of the phone. Oh, Monty. Thinking, what do I do? What, what mm. do I say? Because she's on her own at home. Oh, God, that's so hard. And I, I didn't have the courage to tell her. Um, and I was sort of processing it myself. So I talked to her for about half an hour, trying to find the right moment. Oh, God. To say something. Mm. And in the end, I didn't. And she was saying, well, fine, and I'm, I'm going to go and see him tomorrow and I'll let you know how he is. So they put the phone down. And so I immediately rang. Uh, and I didn't, I thought I must ring a neighbour so she could go around. Mm. Um, but I didn't know, the, I didn't have the number of her neighbour. Yeah. So I rang my sister, who did have a number. And a neighbour went round and then... My sister rang my mother. Mm. So that was a very, very distressing experience. I mean, that was really oh. disturbing. That's so hard. I mean, it's like it's almost not it's not a job a child ever wants to have to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's when that dynamic is really like I, I don't I'm the child. I don't have to give this information. But yeah. I think what you did was really beautiful because. Oh, I just really I really, really, really feel for you. That is such a difficult, especially when someone's in the process of optimism yeah like it wasn't like she said oh you know i'm yeah. a bit worried and you could no. kind of go okay yeah listen they just yeah. rang me you're listening to hope and yeah. how can you just punch a hope like you can't and but no. what you did is so amazing that you went made sure a neighbor was there then when the sister rang she had yeah. you know she got the best way of getting that information because what what good did it done i know you you say courage but i think i think it was courageous what you did to let her have hope for a well, few more minutes. I mean, the point was, is it was, this is not just a new experience. It's like someone sort of waking up in the Antarctic. Mm. I'm in such strange territory here. Mm. I'm, I'm in such uncharted waters. Yeah. And I do not know what to do. Mm. So therefore, whatever I do is, is going to be made up as I go along. It's going to be mm. completely, I've had nothing that remotely matches this experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... As I said, I mean, one of the odd things... I mean, it was interesting that it upset me talking to you about it because I've hardly ever mm. talked about this. I mean, mm. there aren't many people who I'm really <laughs> talk about it to. To me, it's an incredibly poignant thing, her by his bedside. Yeah. Me hearing it, knowing he was dead, this person she was talking about was dead, mm. even though she was alive to her. And it was... I imagine it must be what it's like talking to someone who's got Alzheimer's, mm. talking about a dead husband or yeah, spouse yeah. or whatever it might be. I imagine that it's that same thing. Because mm. to her, he was as alive as he has ever been. He was 100% mm. alive. And to me, he was 100% dead. And I knew he was dead. Oh, yeah. God, that is such a, and then, of course, such I, I mean, a strange situation. Just thinking about it, actually, for, for about 10 minutes, I remember thinking, well, maybe my brother-in-law's got it wrong. Mm, of course yeah of course so you don't know you know because of course it's hope on the table and if someone is filled with that of course as a son you can't help but be like oh yeah maybe maybe her world is true because yeah. you want it to be true yeah. you want it to be true and I think this is the thing you know we don't particularly talk about death we don't 
we don't know how to you know handle things and you know I was very young when I first encountered it so I've been talking about it for a long time but then I have since experienced not being so close close to the epicenter of death and and having to tell people or having to have those conversations and 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 someone who's been doing this since she was 15 and I've struggled to find the words and I think god you know like we just don't have these conversations and so we don't we're not practiced we're not no. practiced no. but also I think that situation was extremely like you said like waking up in Antarctica I think that's a really good <laughs> metaphor because it's just such a um a sort of horrible trick of timing that she yeah. had taken that it, long they it, must have tried to ring her they got through yeah, to you yeah, yeah you know yeah. I mean it was all it was it was it was just a freak sort of of bad luck but but it mm. was a it was an interesting experience the other experience i had with my father uh was was a very odd one which actually i was going to include in this book but i didn't because it felt inappropriate is that i was i was processing his death and i'd had a complicated relationship with him i mean he was, he was very formal he was very military mm. i was the youngest son i was in many ways a disappointment because i sort of didn't do what he wanted but in other ways you know, we were quite close. I mean, it was a complicated, a very complicated relationship. And I was walking along Regent's Canal to work. I lived in oh, yeah. Hackney and I worked in Islington and I used to walk along there every morning. Yeah. And a kestrel flew across from Hoban up in the sky, straight in a straight line. And I, I'm very interested in birds and I immediately spotted it. It was a kestrel, which is an unusual thing to see over the middle mm, of London. Yeah, yeah. And it flew straight straight towards me, absolutely in a direct line, and with a completely overwhelming certainty, I knew it was my father. <laughs> and it stopped and came, stopped over my head and turned and left. Oh, Monty. And flew away. And I, I have never known such grief as in that moment. And clearly, you know, I understand it. I understand everything. Mm. Of course it was a, you know, it wasn't my father. Of course it was a symbol. Of course it was a metaphor. Of course it was, mm. you know, a way of managing grief. But I can't even think about it without feeling grief, mm. let alone talk about it. And I remember feeling utter, utter despair mm. and loss. But maybe that's just what you have to go through. Maybe that's just what grief is mm, it is it is and again and, i think it comes comes back know, to what we we're talking about of yeah. allowing taking away the sort of negative connotations of that of being like oh it's despair is it's a, a bad thing of like that's grief it's yeah. it's utter utter despair and it's looking at something and feeling your heart is being ripped out in front of you and you're watching it go and you know you're like how will i ever walk or breathe again and then suddenly yeah. you are and these moments that we don't allow ourselves as humans to 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 have to go yeah parents like the loss of a parent is it's just massive it's just absolutely huge and when like you said I also think this idea of oh it's a metaphor is really interesting because so, like so it sort of doesn't matter does it whether it is a metaphor or not or what the feelings of what matter and you you created that it wasn't didn't mm. come from an outside agency it came mm. from within it's like a dream you know you make your dreams mm. they're not they're not visitations yes. from another yeah, world yeah yeah yes. so, yeah yeah so that uh and i think that I mean, i've often thought about that image and thought about how it's sort of how how you can focus grief onto onto things i mean i know um i 
suffer from depression and and uh, and as they touch wood actually it's been fine over the last two or three years but one of the features I know when things are getting bad mm. I will find intense anguish is probably the right word but it's sadness mm. at maybe just two notes of music or just mm. the sight of of someone's face or or even when I have known uh, my, seeing a leaf blow across uh, a piece of road has reduced me to mm. tears and it's because you you are what's inside you is is, is putting it out onto these yeah, external yeah. things and obviously that is then feeding a trigger back in mm. and in a way it works in the same way that if the grief is something that, that has to find some kind of outlet it has to mm. be measured yeah. in some way Definitely. it's not an incohate formless thing that, that no. uh, we talk about on the show that it will wait it will wait until you see that yeah. kestrel that leaf yeah. that yeah. snowfall and I think nature often is the thing that it's so tricksy isn't it because I think our lives are very busy and you can keep yourself oh I, I'm not grieving I'm fine mm. I'm fine and then when you do look at nature and you allow that into your heart there's something about it that makes you go that's how I'm feeling isn't it yeah I'm yeah, feeling very sad and very lonely and I think that 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 thing of waiting I mean you know there are when the trigger is pulled mm. that's it yeah um yeah. And it can be 10 years. Oh, yeah, it will It will wait. That's the lesson I've learned. <laughs> it will just sit there. Like, I just thought, I can outrun you. I yeah. c- I'm really yeah. young and fast. And then I got yeah. to my 30s, was like, oh, I see it. Just yeah. It's just, yeah. because that's the thing. It's not, I think when I was younger, I was like, oh, it's, you know, it needs to be fooled. I need to trick it. And then you realise it's actually quite a benevolent force that just wants you to feel its pain. But there is no question about it that, that, that feeling pain is part of the equation of feeling mm. joy. You cannot yes. have one without the other. You cannot. Sadly. Uh, and, and that's, and actually it is better to feel both than to feel neither. Yes, absolutely. And on that beautiful note, it was so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much, Monty. I really appreciate it. That's a pleasure. Okay. Talking to me about Nigel and everyone else as well. Pleasure to talk to you. You can follow Monty on Twitter and Instagram at the Monty Don and his new book My Garden World is out now available from all good bookshops you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast the show was edited by Kate Holland the music was provided by the Glue Ensemble the artwork is by Jade Perkin and I have been Carrie Lloyd thank you for listening and remember you are not alone What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.